we're good. Okay. Well, hello. Hi. <laughs> so we're going to talk beyond books today. We are. Yay. We're there. Um, we were going to kind of start this off by talking about formats that we read or interacted with as kids. Yeah. Were there comics that you read growing up? Yes. Um, I was a Calvin and Hobbes fiend. Kind of still am. Yeah. Um, they have a lot of wide ranging appeal, but I mean, I devoured, they published um, these giant compendiums of the Calvin and Hobbes strips. Oh. And uh-huh. I've got, I think all of them. Um, it was what I asked for, for birthday presents for years. And like, I, they I found them endlessly rereadable and there were certain ones that like I knew I could go back to and still get a belly laugh out of. I was just um, super into them. That and like a little, quite a bit less so, but still quite fun for me <laughs> for some reason was the Far Side comic. Oh my God, I love those as a <laughs> yes. kid too. Looking so back my- on them now though, I'm like, oh, these are clearly written for 40 year old white men, but like. <laughs> yeah, but also some of them are kind of dark and I'm like, oh, those are my favorite Yes. Ones. Oh, who yeah. knew? Yeah, I Who re- knew I had a dark sense of humor back then, too? <laughs> the one that sticks in my head is these two deer talking to each other. And one of the deer has like a target shape on its belly. And his friend is just saying, well, that's a hell of a birthmark you got there. <laughs> <laughs> I found it so funny. <sighs> yeah. How about you? Um, yeah. So I liked the Far Side stuff. Um, I think my dad had like a Far Side comic book. Um, I... I always read the Sunday comics. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't get half of them. Um, no, but, but like religiously I, read them yes. anyway. Yeah, like, me too. Hey, like top to bottom, all of them. Yep. Didn't matter. Um, and then I read the Archie comics. Oh, yeah. Because you used to be able to get them at the um, checkout at the um, at the grocery store. Yeah. And so I'd pick one up there. Um, and I was like super into those. That was actually some of my first forays into really being a reader oh that's cool um you know like i think i talked about my reading spark there were like a handful of books that i really connected with but then that was sort of like i think it started taking off more at that point yeah and honestly i probably got more practice reading sure so it just reinforced those skills yeah um yeah so archie comics i nice i think about them now and and they're still available and i'm kind of like yeah. oh they're like really gendered and like yeah. real like heteronormative and yeah. stuff but you know they were fun yeah was, they got you into them they did so welcome back to the at home librarian podcast and if you didn't guess today we're going to talk about reading and other less traditional formats and let's jump in let's do it <laughs> Hi everyone, I'm Tibby, and I'm a librarian, parent, unschooler, and a reader. I'm Alexis, and I'm an educator and a reader. And you're listening to the At Home Librarian Podcast, a podcast where we examine what it means to become a reader, demystify how that happens, explore beyond the five most famous kids' books, and dive into the works of children's book artists, authors, and scholars. Along the way, we'll recommend books for you to share with the children in your life, help you diversify their bookshelves, and hopefully reassure you that whatever your kid loves reading is okay. There is so much good stuff when it comes to children's books. Let's 
Listeners may remember from our very first episode that one of the reading misconceptions we shared was that audiobooks and graphic novels aren't considered, quote, real reading. Yeah, to which our response was, reading is reading and stop gatekeeping. Stop it. And we also brought up this issue a bit in our fourth episode on raising a reader. And today we want to dive into what is out there beyond what we think of as, quote, real reading materials. Yeah. So the place I want to start is with an essay that I came across as part of my research for the show is called In Defense of Rubbish. I love it already. (laughs) I know. So let's just get this out in the open and lead with it. We all read rubbish. Yes. And it is fine and it is good for us. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, honestly, look at the New York Times bestseller list. It is not all high-minded, oh, highbrow, God, deep, yeah. intense literature or nonfiction. Yep. A lot of it is fluffier, enjoyable rubbish. Yep. Things that in 10 years will be found in droves on thrift shop shelves and long fallen out of the consciousness of most people who read it. And we love it. Yes, we do. Reading is reading. And all reading is good reading, even the rubbish. So in this essay, the author, who is an adult crime novel author, his name is Peter Dickinson. I hadn't heard of him because I'm not that familiar with genre literature like that. But um, he defines rubbish as all forms of reading matter, which contain to the adult eye no visible value or aesthetic or educational. Love it. Looking at you, Dan Brown. I I love love how this definition pushes back on adults placing expectations on children's reading. We've talked about this in other episodes, but adults often have their own rather unhelpful ideas about reading. Exactly. When I read it, I was so struck by the importance of this concept of rubbish and the need to encourage parents and teachers and librarians to let go of their preconceived notions of what reading should look like and its educational value. Yes. In our adult lives, no one is policing what we read, or I hope they aren't. Yeah, if so, if, get out. Yeah, if they are, please reach out to us, and we will personally send them a nasty email. Oh, yes. Blink twice if you need help. <laughs> <laughs> and most... And certainly not all of what we read is going to be intellectual. It's fine to fall into an enjoyable story or an interesting topic that won't lead to great insight. Absolutely. Reading can be a window into lives and stories as well as life changing. But the expectation that it will always be those things, frankly, does everyone a disservice. Mm -hmm. Why can't reading just be relaxing? Yeah. Peter Dickinson notes that, quote, I have always believed that children ought to be allowed to read a certain amount of rubbish. Sometimes quite a high proportion of their reading matter can healthfully consist of things no sane adult would actually encourage them to read. <laughs> I love it. Quote. He then goes on to lay out six solid reasons for this importance, which we're going to walk through. Awesome. So. His first defense is that by diving deeply into a genre or series or popular fiction, a child becomes immersed in a whole culture. He likens this to the adult we know who went to the movies every weekend as a kid and now has a whole era of films in their knowledge base that they can reference and discuss. And I think that's such an interesting analogy. Yeah. I think many of us can also relate to the sense of immersion that getting into a series or genre can elicit. And isn't that immersion what we want kids to experience in order to identify as readers? Absolutely. So Dickinson's second defense is that it gives kids a common point of connection as a peer group and can give kids a sense of belonging. And I really felt this one strongly as a kid who was exposed to very, very little pop culture of any kind. That includes like music, books, all of those things, right? Mm -hmm. And I often felt left out as a kid and even as an adult when I don't know common cultural touchstones. It comes up still. Um, It bothers me less as an adult, but I do see how it can make it harder to connect with my peers. 
And it was often sold to me as like a moral position to not indulge in pop culture when it really more robbed me of a sense of belonging to my generation. And also for the record, it's not a moral position. Nope. Yeah, just because some adult somewhere doesn't value it doesn't mean kids should miss out on something that they can bond over. Yeah. So his third point is that as much as you tell children that things are rubbish, they're not going to believe you. (laughs) (laughs) And they need to figure that out for themselves. And I love this idea so much. It puts trust in every kid's ability to decide for themselves what they like and don't like and discover on their own that not everything is great literature or art while not placing any real moral value on those preferences and opinions. Exactly. It's also very true. Anyone who's tried telling a kid that they shouldn't read or watch something because it isn't good can relate. That kid is actually more More. likely to read it yep so his fourth point is something that we've talked about before which is comfort in the easy predictable and familiar the kids sometimes want those experiences of returning to things that they know and feel an emotional connection with to tell them that they can't read certain things robs them of finding that comfort Plus, building positive experiences with reading and with the comfort returning to an old favorite can bring will make kids want to continue reading. Absolutely. This is so key. So many adults I know completely discount the comfort aspect of reading, and it really baffles me. Who amongst us hasn't enjoyed an old favorite and the sense of peace and nourishment that comes along with it? Yeah. Absolutely. Um, The fifth defense makes me laugh. (laughs) Dickinson says, there's no proof or even arguing about it, but I am fairly sure in my own mind that a diet of plums is bad for you (laughs) and that any rational reading system needs to include a considerable amount of pap or roughage. (laughs) I love it. I do too. I think we all know at least one person who at least claims to never read rubbish and setting aside the fact that they're almost certainly lying, we also know how insufferable that person is. <laughs> Need we say more? Oh my God, so true. Yeah. I have like four people that come to mind. I, I bet <laughs> any listener right now can visualize a face in front yes. of them. <laughs> His sixth and final point is that what appears to be rubbish to adults may not actually be rubbish. That the adult eye is not always the best at determining value. Exactly. We've talked about audience before, and that's what he's getting at here. Adults aren't always the intended audience, and that means our judgment is unhelpful and, frankly, irrelevant. Yep. Yep. He ends with, quote, And long after the child is out of the hands of parents and teachers, the habit of reading, even the habit of reading rubbish, may somehow evoke a tendency to read things which are not rubbish. I know of two or three of my contemporaries who were, by cultural standards, total Philistines in their boyhood, but they used to read a considerable amount of rubbish and have now, from the habit of reading, becomes, become considerably more literate than I, end quote. That's great. Yeah. I think the idea that if you read rubbish as a kid, you'll somehow end up only reading rubbish your whole life is what a lot of these adults are afraid of, which I have a lot of thoughts about. But mainly, even if that was the case... So what? Absolutely. So what? We need to stop trying to police each other. What a great find of an essay. I know. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Let's take a break and come back and talk about some formats that can expand our sense of what reading can look like. Yes. Welcome back. Let's talk about some less traditional reading material and why we love them. One of my personal favorites is the graphic novel. Mm -hmm. For those of you who might not be familiar with graphic novels, they're sort of part book, part comic, if you will, but 
also neither. Yeah. (laughs) They're like comics in that they use art as an integral part of the storytelling, but they tend to be longer than comics and they're not always serialized. Yeah. So there's been a real explosion of graphic novels in the last five or so years maybe even like maybe even 10 yeah yeah. and i think this was actually spurred by the popularity of reina and i'm gonna pronounce her last name wrong is it telgemeier telgemeier okay (laughs) um she she's written a number of different stories for like middle grade age kids drama smile Mm -hmm. um sisters and ghosts um, but they they have been extraordinarily popular. Yeah, you've probably seen them, listeners, on on the shelves all over the place. I, they have them at Target. Even, yeah. So, yeah, I'm sure you've seen them. So the first graphic novel that I remember encountering and reading was Mouse in high school. That's some heavy shit. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, it was an interesting one to encounter alone without adult guidance dealing with the content. Um, but I mention it because graphic novels can also come in any, any genre. Mouse is about the Holocaust. It's yeah. written with animals as stand-ins for different nationalities where um the jews are mice i believe the germans are cats. i think they were cats i think they're cats i, I think correctly. the polish are pigs yeah. um but yeah it's 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 very heavy yeah um and it, you may have seen it recently because it's been on a lot of banned book lists yeah it, well it's been kind of it rel- always has been yeah, but i think popular. it's getting a a big um yeah a big tick uptick in back in, in the spotlight yeah, yeah and because the world is a trash fire yes it is <laughs> so there are graphic novels in literary fiction sci-fi mystery fantasy even memoir mm-hmm. um mouse is part memoir and part historical fiction and part history um and they're made for a lot of different audiences. You can find graphic novels for your early reader. Yep. You can find them all the way up through your advanced reader and beyond. But don't be fooled. They're not more childish or any less complex than traditional books. They just get the kind of snobbish dismissal that picture books do because they rely so heavily on art. Yeah. The next time you hear someone say that graphic novels are for babies, you can mention Mouse. <laughs> Why, yes. I read Why, Mouse yes. to my toddler. Yeah. I think it also has something to do with the text format. In a graphic novel, you're not reading wall-to-wall text. It's often broken up into smaller chunks to tell the story along with the art. And there can often be more dialogue, although not always. Mm -hmm. Um, That can actually be a big appeal, especially to a reluctant or struggling reader for whom a full page of text can really feel daunting. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But the fact that there is generally less text and that it's broken up into smaller chunks than in traditional books doesn't mean, again, that the story is any less complex or rich. And often reading a graphic novel will require the reader to pay close attention to the art as well. Mm-hmm. Some of the story will be only told in pictures. And that's where that visual literacy that we were talking about in the picture book episode comes in. Absolutely. And that can be very appealing for some readers. Sometimes mm-hmm. when a child is feeling frustrated with the mechanics of reading or perhaps is ready to jump into more challenging stories but isn't ready for more challenging vocabulary, a graphic novel can be just the ticket. Those kids might connect more with graphic novels because they can get just as much out of the story from the artwork as they do out of the words. And that can provide a rich reading experience that other books written for their stage might not. Yeah, that's called a high-low reader. Yes. High interest, low. Well, there are books that are high-low, but like high interest, low 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 reading level. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It can also really support a reluctant reader as they continue to build their vocabulary and their fluency, like me with the Archie comics. Absolutely. Because the text is so intertwined with the art, difficult words can become a lot clearer by observing the artwork. 
work. And so much dialogue can help a reader really get into the mood and the feel of the text. Um, and the character's emotions are clearly depicted in the art as well. Um, plus, graphic novels often make use of different sizes and styles of text to make meaning clear. Yep. Yeah. Different fonts, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, totally. Lots of different aspects to pay attention to and sort of like keep the those brains that aren't that look at just a wall of text and don't don't know what to do with that right. sort of keep them engaged and moving around the page and looking at different things and paying attention to different things in their brain totally all right so let's get to some recommending yes some graphic novels that i've loved that also appeal to kids are the owlie series oh, by Owly. andy renton um and the princess in black series by shannon hale and dean hale so these are both really geared towards younger readers they're very sweet stories um i don't personally have as much experience with the owlie series i saw a bunch of my kids reading them cam, um, cam read them surprise, yeah surprise <laughs> Exactly. Um, but the Princess in Black series is about um, a princess who is also by night a superhero and she has to keep that secret. And, yeah. um, you know, very sweet, very fun, um, lots of adventure. Um, I also love Zeta the Space Girl by Ben Hatke for yes, those who those like adventure. Good. Those were good. Yeah. yeah. That was always really big in the classroom. Um, the Hilda series by Luke Pearson. Um, this is more for those who prefer their stories very gentle with just a mild hint of spook or danger, but the artwork is just so appealing. Um, they also, I think, made a little Netflix miniseries out of it, too. I think they did because I think Cam watched it. Yeah. 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 Those are very fun. Um, Witch Boy by Molly Ostertag for middle grade and up. There's lots of magic and discussion of gender and identity in that one. You recommended that one in um, our mid-season bonus episode. Yes. Yes, exactly. I love that one. Um, and then for older readers, March by John Lewis and Andrew Aiden. This is definitely for YA and older, but this is a memoir in graphic form about John Lewis's life during the civil rights movement. Yeah. Those are great books. There's three of them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for me, I would recommend, um, okay, Wonderstruck and, and The Invention of Hugo Cabret, both by Brian Selznick. I love those. Um, they're, they're actually more of like a hybrid form. They're not strictly graphic novel, but there are graphic aspects to the story yes. and then um, actual like words to the story. Especially Wonderstruck. Part of that story yes. is only told, only told in, in pictures. pictures. Yeah. Um, and beautiful pictures. Yeah, they and I will say they might be intimidating to the reluctant reader because they are doorstoppers. They are chonkers. Yeah, they're oh, yeah. very thick, and that's because there are so many illustrations in it. Yeah. Um, and this is why a book walk can be helpful. Yeah. Just flip through. Um. So yeah, I really I love both of those. Um, the Akissi series by Marguerite Abue, I think. Um, it ties in with an adult series called Aya of Yop City. Um, it takes place in like 1970s. Oh, shoot. I'm going to forget the country. One of the West African countries. Okay. Um, I don't know either of these books. I like, as a grown up, I liked Aya. Um, she's in her like mid twenties. Okay. Um, and it's just about, it has to do with that, that time period in West Africa, but also, um, just like dealing with friends, dealing with parents, different things that are happening to you at that age. Um, kind of nice. new adultish. Yeah. Um, but Akissi is her little sister. <laughs> she is a handful. Awesome. Um, and it's just about like all of these adventures and quirky things that Akissi gets into. Um, there's one she goes and visits the grandparents that live like outside of the city and like on the more traditional homeland. <laughs> 
parents. And when she leaves, the grandparents are like, oh, thank goodness. We need a vacation. No. (laughs) She's basically my younger child. Awesome. Love it. (laughs) But they're just, they're so funny. Um, Then I like uh, A Bride Story by Keoru Mori. Um, That is... I think it's good for like middle school on up, okay. um, but it's a s- Silk Road tale for Ooh. like the mid to late 1800s. It's just before um, the Russian Revolution starts because there's um, you go to different places along the Silk Road and the illustrations in it are absolutely stunning. Cool. And the author has done a lot of research into this time period and the different cultures there and um, has based a lot of it off of like historical things um, and you there at different points you're like I think you're in like Kazakhstan and whatnot and um, you can see that the political climate is changing um, through the story but each story follows an, a new bride. Oh, wow. Um, and so that's why it's called a bride story. Yeah. Um, and the first one is this um, girl who's supposed to be like, she's so old. She's like 20. And she's married <laughs> oh, a much, much younger boy who's, I think he's about 13 or 14. Oh, wow. They're married. They're not having sex. Um, and, you know, like the expectation is that they're going to be married. They were married for like political alliance reasons. Sure. And that, like, their true marriage will happen later on down the line. Yeah. But it's about them getting to know each other. But you also, like, learn about the families and the things going on. It's just, it's a really fascinating book. There's a, like, a British anthropologist who's coming through the area. And you end up following him to a couple of places. Um, cool. So you see these other places. Yeah, it's it's a, it's so gorgeous. It is such a gorgeous series. It's still coming out. Um, I think there's about 20 nine or 12 volumes at this point oh, wow. but they're still being published um the color trilogy by kim dong hua is a coming of age um like growing up story in pre-industrial korea oh neat um it's really great i highly recommend that for middle school you could do early high school too but um it deals with puberty it deals with like first love um parent child relationships um but also you get to see some of the culture from that era which is really fascinating um it's just they're gorgeous there's three of them in this in the trilogy obviously awesome um i love cairo by g willow wilson yeah yeah we love g willow wilson we do she was in Cairo when I was in Cairo. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, she has some interesting memoir that she's written um, about herself, but she's also, she's done um, a number of other graphic novel things, but this one is specifically, it's like a magical realism, but um, with a very like Middle Eastern twist to it. And it takes place in Cairo, which is pretty cool. That's great. Yeah. Um, and then also you mentioned in our mid-season bonus, the um, Benny, Benny and Penny series. Yeah. Um, those are published by Toon Books, Toon, T-O-O-N Books. Um, they publish graphic novels for kids and they actually have some that are for like really early readers. Yeah. So basically anything by them. If you have a kid who you think would be really, um, really open to graphic novels or is really into that format, like maybe they've seen an older sibling or an older friend reading them and really wants to read that but doesn't have the skills yet, look up those Toon Books and they have a lot of options. A lot of really good options. Yeah. Yeah. Um, of which the Benny and Penny series is only one. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, and how could I forget the Lowriders in Space yes! series? Yes. I absolutely adore this series. It's about these friends. Um, one of them, 
I don't know exactly what all the animals are. One of them is a mosquito. Kind of funky looking. One of them is an octopus. They have, they ride a low rider. They want to, um, one of the characters wants to open a shop that works on cars and they get this low rider and they put it together and they take it into space. And the illustrations in this one, I, the story is fun and it's like a friendship story. It's about cars. It's about like low rider culture, but it's also <laughs> there. The illustrations are so cool. Um, Raul the third did the illustrations for it all in Bic pen. That's amazing. Yeah. So it's like red, blue and black. That's awesome. Yeah, there it's so it's very cool. But I, one of the things I like about that is like for your reluctant reader, they might also look at that art and be like, I could draw like that. Yeah, I have a big pen like I could do that. Kind of like great. me with cherries and cherry pits and right. markers. Right. Same with the kid with big pens. Yeah, very cool. That's a great series, too. I think there's about three or four of them now. Yeah. So comics can feel very similar to graphic novels, but they do differ in some small but important ways. First, comics are often much shorter and serial in nature. Mm -hmm. Um, Think of one issue of a comic as one episode of a television show. After a few issues have been published, they'll sometimes be republished with many of the issues bound together into a volume, which is sort of like one season of a television show. Um, This is more often what you'll find in bookstores unless you're specifically going to a comic book shop. That's right. And sometimes it's less frustrating to find the bound ones. (laughs) (laughs) It depends on how much practice you have at a comic shop (laughs) and how much browsing you're interested in doing. Well, and like how often. But also like sometimes I think about um, there's a series that I'll I'll probably I think I recommend it later on in the episode. But um, if you waited for each of the issues, like it ends on too much of a cliffhanger. You oh, just yeah. want to read the whole book. <laughs> oh, yeah. I had that issue with the new um, Hawkeye with Kate Bishop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so many of us probably have that stereotypical image of superhero comics for grown-up nerds in our minds right now. And We love those, too. Yes. I am one of those. <laughs> and there certainly are a lot of those, including adaptations and spinoffs for kids. Yeah. Um, but there are also plenty of other genres available in comic form that appeal to a lot of different readers. Mm-hmm. Just like graphic novels, chances are you can find a comic for just about any reader. And just like graphic novels, comics intertwine art and text to tell the story. This makes them great for all readers, but especially reluctant or struggling readers. And honestly, the comic, like the single issue of the comic too, can feel less intimidating. Yes. I mean, if you really have a reluctant reader, even a graphic novel can feel yeah. intimidating because they, they are, can be long. They are book length. So graphic Novels come in series, but they also often stand alone. Comics, on the other hand, are almost always serial. Yeah. Um, This can be a great way to get a kid to dive into a series or genre. Um, You know, it's just like a little taster. Mm -hmm. Um, And if if your child finds a comic they enjoy and get lost in, there are likely to be many, many more for them to devour. Yes. And once your child has a good understanding of the kind of story they enjoy, it can make picking out new books and comics much easier and much more satisfying. Yes, absolutely. All right. So some of our recommendations for comics. So um, as I mentioned in our recommendation episode, but I can't talk enough about Lumberjanes <laughs> by N.D. Stevenson. Um, so th- like we said before, this is a very sweet series about friendship above all and growing up together while also defeating fantastical baddies. And there's a few volumes out now. Yes. Um, so if if your kid likes one, there's a lot more out there. Um, and like I mentioned at the top of the episode, the classic Calvin and Hobbes comics by Bill Watterson. Yeah. I loved these as a kid. And every year in my classroom, at least one student, a lot of times more, would just become obsessed with them. Yep. I brought my own copies into the classroom and they are now very well loved. <laughs> 
Um, and I think Watterson's gift was folding humor that would appeal to kids into humor that would appeal to adults without talking down to either group. Yeah. I mean, honestly, that's quite a skill. Yeah. I mean, the, I, you know, belly laughed over these as an eight-year-old and then went back and read them as a 20-year-old and still belly laughed, but over different aspects. Yeah. Yeah. Um, another one is The Tea Dragon Society by Kay O'Neill. This one I adore. Very sweet and gentle. It has magic with very mild danger and just gorgeous illustrations. And also really great representation right on the page. That's cool. Yeah. I don't. I only know that one because you have it on your bookshelf. Yes. Your I have it displayed prominently <laughs> because it's beautiful. Yes. Um, and there's a few now and you can get them in issues or in volumes. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, there's the more classic superhero series. Um, there are some newer ones that do a much better job of representing and appealing to a wider audience. Some of those are Ms. Marvel's recent run by G. Willow Wilson. Yay. Yay. This was our first female Muslim superhero and also very fun and, and a very funny run as well. She's a good writer. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there's also Miss America created by Joe Casey and Nick Dragata, America Chavez. She is Latina. And she has some really awesome powers. She's very powerful. Um, you may be familiar with her because she was recently brought into the films um, in the newest Doctor Strange movie as of this recording. Um, and then there's Squirrel Girl, created by Will Murray and Steve Ditko. She is super fun. She's like kind of a bit anxious, sort of like a squirrel. She's a squirrel. <laughs> <laughs> um, and she prefers to defeat baddies with logic and intelligence rather than fists. Oh, I like that. Yeah, she's great. I, so I don't really have any comics that I know of. Um, like I said, I read the Archie comics as a kid. I also read the Tintin books. Oh, boy. <laughs> I mean, I have very fond memories of them. And yeah. I know a lot of people that have gotten into reading because of either one of those or both of those. Um, but they both definitely have their issues. Sure. Um, I think a crossover that I've read myself is the Age of Bronze series. So this is the one that I was talking about did I mention it earlier? I, I think remember. so, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. This When we were talking about serialization. Um, it It's first published in com comic book format, and then it's bound as a graphic novel. You're more likely to find the graphic novels. Right. So um, I would – you could read it, definitely read it in late middle school, Um, you know, depending on the kid and how into Greek uh, history they are. There's they, always a few of those in middle school. You could probably yeah. read it earlier. Uh, the one thing I will say is there's a fair amount of sex in it. Sure. Um, but – um, it would also it's also great for high school. So he's actually it's the story of the Odyssey and also like the Hellenic Wars. Oh, OK. Um, so the first one is uh, a thousand ships. So the face that lost launched a thousand ships. Right. Was Helen of Troy. Right. Um, and about the Trojan War. Um, it is he has done his research. Eric Shanauer is the author. He has done his research and it. Uh, Honestly, it's a lot like a bride story in that, like, the um, the artifacts that are in, you know, in the houses, that the architecture is correct to the period, the um, the clothing, um, even, like, the way people look. Wow. Um, like, their hairstyles and, um, and that kind of thing. Um, I mean, it is absolutely stunning. Cool. And it's pretty historically accurate. He does a good job of balancing, like, the story and and still remaining... Um, accurate to the history sure. of the era. So um, it's it's really, it's quite a spectacular series. Awesome. Um, like I said, there is a lot of sex in it. Um, and for parents and readers who don't care but want representation, there is queer sex. Great. <laughs> um, yeah, so there are queer characters in that one too. Um, I, don't, I don't know. I just, I really like that series. It sounds really good. Yeah. Let's take a break and we'll come back and talk more formats. Yay. Yay. 
Another much maligned format is audiobooks. Oh, yes. Yep. This is the one that is probably most often dismissed as not reading because it doesn't need to involve physically looking at text. But that attitude is incredibly ableist Mm -hmm. as well as reductive. Remember, becoming a reader is so much more than just the mechanics of learning to read, learning to sound out words on a page. It's being able to glean information and inspiration from a story, and it's getting lost in a world that someone else created. It's being able to say, yeah, I love stories. I'm a reader. And audiobooks can absolutely 100% contribute to that as much as any other format. Absolutely. So what is an audiobook? Well, it's a recording of a book or story being read out loud. They're available for just about any kind of story you can think of, and yes, including picture books. We'll get to that in a minute. And within audiobooks, there are two formats. One is the standard single narrator, much like how you'd be reading a chapter book aloud to your kid at night or to your students in the classroom. And then within that, narrators might do voices for each character or modulate their voice for different characters. The classic example of this is the Harry Potter audiobooks. Jim Dale. Yeah. So good. I know those books are facing some pushback because the author has turned out to be a huge transphobe. Boo. Yeah. But I mentioned them because you may have heard them or could easily find them to hear what we're talking about, whether or not you choose to listen, listen to or purchase them. Right. And then there are full cast audiobooks where each book character has a voice actor reading a part. And I think of these as being akin to like old radio shows that our parents and grandparents would have listened to. Yeah. It's like a play or a movie, but without the visual aspect. Sometimes either type of audiobook can feature sound effects, which your mileage may vary with how annoying or distracting you find that and ditto with your kids. Either way, audiobooks themselves come in a variety of formats. Yeah. So you might ask, why audiobooks? Well, honestly, so many reasons. But a big one, especially for kids, is fatigue. Kids spend all day working their brains really, really hard. Whether they're in traditional school, homeschool, or unschool, those gears are grinding 24-7 to make sense of the world around them and understand everything they possibly can to get along with others, to regulate their feelings. Their little brains are really busy. So sometimes the act of reading is just exhausting. It's hard to be a kid. It is. (laughs) It's true. But maybe your kid still wants to read or at least hear a story, but they're just too tired to read. Yeah. So I audiobooks can be great for that. They can still hear the story. They're still practicing following along with the plot and the characters. And they're also hearing fluent reading being modeled for them, which can really improve their own fluency when they do read. Plus, it can give you, the caregiver, a break from reading the same story over and over again. And you can let the professionals take over sometimes. That is legit. (laughs) I would also add, I listen to a lot of audiobooks and I love to do it while I do chores. Same. Yeah. I know this is a common thing for adults and it can be equally true for kids. I've heard a lot of parents who put audiobooks on in the car, either during long car trips or just while they're out and about, like on the trip into school. Totally. Or on the way home from school. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. So another big reason is the gap between a child's comprehension and ability to read. Yes. Until you reach the advanced reader stage, there will always be a gap there for every reader. That's just a part of human development. Think about it. Well before your two-year-old can even recognize letters, they can understand plenty of words and sentences. Yes. 
all kids will have a gap between what they can read and what they can understand. And that gap might be bigger or smaller for different kids and in different stages or even when they're reading different genres. Yeah. Yeah. I think about how much harder it is to read nonfiction informational text than to listen to an expert tell you cool facts about the same subject. Yes. This is where audiobooks can fill that gap. A child can listen to a much more complex or challenging story and enrich their reading life without having to struggle through a lot of frustrating vocabulary. And this is especially great for kids who are ready for more mature stories but are still working on their reading skills. Yeah. It's also great for younger kids as they practice reading to themselves. Some picture books come with an audio CD in the back, and you can get audiobooks of picture books. Kids can look at the pictures and words in their physical copy while listening to the audio recording. Mm -hmm. Honestly, I do that with some nonfiction stuff that I listen to. On, on totally. Yeah. Yes. Again, it supports their own reading while giving their brains a bit of a rest. And shout out to millennials that had books on tape or even Teddy Ruxpin. Oh, the stuff of nightmares. <laughs> I love Teddy Ruxpin. He haunted my dreams. <laughs> that jingle when it was time to turn the page totally brings back memories. Awesome. <laughs> And that point about fluent and expressive reading being modeled for kids when they listen to an audiobook can be its own appeal as well. Sometimes you find an incredible narrator and you just want to listen to them yeah. read everything. I've definitely searched for audiobooks by narrator before. It's nice to hear someone else's interpretation of a book sometimes. And so instead of specific recommendations here, we want to give you a couple tips for finding audiobooks for your kiddos. Yeah. One thing to look for are books read by their author. Yeah. Um, sure. Not all authors are great. Read aloud. That is true. <laughs> but it can be really cool to hear how the author meant for the text to sound. I know for the grown-up audiobooks I listen to, this is almost a must mm -hmm. for, me, for me. As far as where to find them, check out your public library. They'll have physical copies you can check out, but they will almost certainly have an app you can download onto your phone or tablet or sometimes even computer that will give you access to an extensive online catalog. Honestly, if you have access to it, this is the best way to go about it, if at all possible. It will keep your kid in books without costing you anything extra. Yeah. When they read or listen to chapter books or even easy readers and picture books, they may blow through a lot in a short period of time. So if you have concerns about data usage, talk to your librarian or library's tech department. They should have staff that can answer those questions for you. Yeah. So here in Sacramento, as well as other major cities, um, our public library system uses Libby. It's probably the biggest and most common app for this because the company it comes from, Overdrive. Um, but there's also Hoopla and there are a couple others. It's just going to sort of depend on what your library system has. Yeah. Um, I think most people are going to be able to find Libby, I think, at this point. Um, and then you just simply download the app. You add in your child's library card or yours, either one, and then you search the catalog. And your local librarian should be able to help get you set up and answer any questions that you have. Yeah. So let's take a break and give us a little mental pause. So let's wrap up this segment with a collection of some other reading formats. In addition to audiobooks, there are some online resources that sort of mimic that reading rainbow style of story sharing. I love reading rainbow. I know. One of these is Storyline Online, a free website where celebrities read picture books aloud. The quality of books and narration is inconsistent, but they show the pictures so that you don't have to have your own copy of each book to enjoy the visuals. That's yes. really important. Yeah. There's also a book-specific subset of YouTube videos called BookTube. 
Again, the quality of story and narrator varies widely, and we don't recommend using this resource without constant adult supervision or without safe search turned on. You need both of those. (laughs) Yeah, the algorithm can result in some really weird stuff being suggested when it figures out that you're consistently searching for children's stories. There's like a whole podcast on it. It's terrifying. But you can, if you find a channel that you enjoy, you can curate playlists for your kiddo. So all they have to do is click play and have a few pre-approved videos queued up yeah but aside from online and digital formats there are also a lot of book formats that can make a story more appealing or approachable for some readers one of these formats that comes to mind is like the miscellaneous formats that are often found in picture books for young children um think books like pat the bunny um and with textures to touch Mm -hmm. um the very hungry caterpillar with those holes that are punched when he eats through the different yes i loved that as a kid (laughs) Same. And a particularly fun one, if you don't know this book, you need to you need to see need. it. Need. Yes. Um, is The Jolly Postman and Other People's Letters, which has letters that you can pull out and read. There's like pockets where you yes. like pull it out. There's I think there's even like a puzzle. There's a magazine. There's a book. It's it's so cool. There's actually three Jolly Postman books. There's They're so good. Jolly Postman, Jolly Postman Christmas, and... I forget one the third where he one. shrinks down. Oh, and they have a lot of like references to um, fairy tales and yes. Mother Goose rhymes. Yeah, yeah. So it's all it's a nice little tie in there. And just pulling them out of the envelopes is so satisfying. Oh, I had yes. a copy for myself and a copy for the classroom because <laughs> I wanted a pristine one. <laughs> well, yeah, you don't want to lose the pieces either. I mean, you know, that's what happens. Um, So some people find these kinds of books sort of gimmicky, but I'm a huge sucker for them. I remember being blown away as a kid that you could have something other than words and pictures on the page or (gasps) a hole in the page. (laughs) (laughs) I remember requesting Miss Fanshawe and the Great Dragon Adventure over and over again when I was a kid because there were cutouts that revealed part of the next page. You had to turn the book sometimes, all kinds of things. Books like these can keep readers engaged in new and creative ways, and the trick or gimmick can help as the child rereads and retells the story. Yeah. Another format found in more traditional style books is the epistolary format, in which the story is told in the form of letters or a diary. This has become really popular lately with the publishing of books like Diary of a Wimpy Kid and others like it. Um, And this book can be really appealing to kids, not only because the smaller chunks of text that often accompany the format, but also because it allows the reader to connect with the characters on a deep level, especially if it's like an actual journal or diary. Right. Yeah. And Cam loves those owl diary books. Those are that that journal um, format. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. Reading in the first person in the form of a letter or a diary entry puts you into the character's head in a way that other narration styles kind of don't. Yeah. Um, Plus, it often allows for some artwork to accompany the text, not as much as a picture book or graphic novel, but certainly more than a traditional chapter book. Mm -hmm. But they're often published with the size, shape, and length of other chapter books, so they feel very grown up, which is also very appealing. And they also kind of look more grown up. Sometimes kids are just sort of put off by formats if the trim size isn't correct. Right. Because they don't want to look like they're reading babyish books. Exactly. So finally, there are magazines, and there are a lot of magazines out there, and they can be really eye-catching for kids. I mean, I liked, I went through a phase where I loved magazines. Shout out highlights. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) One major draw is that some magazines are topic-specific, so if you have a kid who's like super into one specific thing, you can find a magazine that covers it. Mm -hmm. Think like Ranger Rick for nature lovers, that sort of thing. Ranger Rick is still around. Yeah, yeah. 
Another appeal that magazines hold is the short stories interspersed with activities and bright pictures. Again, it makes the act of reading a bit less daunting for kids who are still working out the process because it's not wall-to-wall words. They know they'll get a break after a few pages and they'll get to try a puzzle or look at a neat photo. So it feels more achievable. Yeah. Also, the colorful pictures and photos provide a break for the eyes and an opportunity to exercise visual literacy and learn through observation. The photos in magazines fall somewhere between illustrations and graphic novels where they're integral to the story and chapter artwork in novels where they're just like a pleasant bonus. They're not necessary to understand the material in the magazine, but they often complement it and add to the text. And they certainly have a lot of visual appeal. Oh, yeah. So I don't have much experience with current magazine for kids outside of my former classroom. My students enjoyed National Geographic Kids, although I will insert a caveat here that sometimes their problematic approach to people and cultures around the globe meant that we had to have an intentional conversation about who gets to tell someone's story. Um, I also used short stories from the magazine called Cricket for our class, and those were usually pretty enjoyable too. Yeah, Cricket Media actually has a number of different magazines geared toward different ages, and I also think different interests. Um, I think the literary ones are the better bets, but you can check them out at the link in our show notes. Um, Anorak is another publishing company that does absolutely stunning kids' magazines. Um, they're they're worth checking out. They're they're expensive. Um, in terms of magazine subscriptions, I think um, be sure you check at your public library. They often have them. Totally. But if they don't, you can request that they, they get a subscription. Yeah. They maybe not always can, but they'll try. Um, so if you check out the Anorak at the, at the link in the show notes and that looks like something interesting to you, but it's really expensive. Um, yeah, definitely ask at your library. Yeah. Um, there's also Kazoo, Curious Jane, and Illustoria. Um, they're all sort of along those lines of like really beautiful magazines for children. Nice. Um, the one thing I'll say about magazines is that you might think they'll be less expensive than books, but they are absolutely not. They can be quite pricey. Um, so in addition to like asking at your public library, if they either have them already or are willing to subscribe to some, um, maybe think about saving issues for younger siblings or passing them around, um, or on to other families in your community. Totally. Either if you can afford the subscription and other folks can't, or if you want to like go in on a subscription together or something. Oh yeah, that's a good idea. Um, yeah, but guaranteed your public library is going to have the Cricket Media ones. Yeah. Ladybug. Um, I can't remember the other. Uh, Spider, I think is. Yeah, one of them. they're all named yeah. after crawly thing things. Yeah, <laughs> and then National Geographic, they'll have that. Right. Also, if um, any of you listeners know of some good magazines for kids, you can leave us a voicemail recommendation. Please do. Or send us an email and we might share your recommendation on a future episode. Yeah. Like in our bonus episode. We'd love that. Yeah. achieved our goal of taking apart the limiting essentialist misguided attitude some people have when approaching different kinds of reading material. We want to both reassure you that what your kid likes to read is what they should be reading and that quality is neither objective nor as important as some adults like to insist. And we want to explode the idea that traditional books are the best thing for people to read. <laughs> yep, that's us. Here to be a thorn in the side of gatekeepers everywhere. Yep. <laughs> We hope you feel some relief after hearing this episode, both for what the kids in your life like to read and maybe also for what you like to read. Yeah. Maybe we even added to your TBR pile (laughs) as a bonus. I hope so. Oh, yeah. (laughs) As always, if you have any questions or comments, feel free to reach out to us. We're on Instagram as at at-home librarian pod. That's at at 
H-O-M-E-L-I-B-R-A-R-I-A-N-P-O-D. We would also love to hear from you using the voice message link in the show notes in your podcast app. We plan on making a bonus episode where we answer listener questions. If you like the show, please share it with the caregivers and educators in your life. And for transcripts and show notes, visit the At Home Librarian blog. You can find us at athomelibrarian.com slash podcast. All right. So uh, today our reading spark is with my husband... Hello. And will you just uh, introduce yourself with your first name? Yeah, my name is Jim. And um, we, I, we wanted to talk to you specifically um, because uh, you and I have very different reading practices. So um, I guess let's just start with um, w- looking back kind of at your earlier life, what what memories do you have of reading or what sort of feel do you have around reading when you were younger? Um, well, I, I started off not as a very strong reader and I'm still not a very strong reader, but, um, some of the earliest memories I have, um, is having stories, um, uh, books read to me, um, as a kid, uh, going to bed, um, and then also just the required reading at school. Oh, yes. I always love that required reading. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think even book lovers don't always love required reading. So so reading was a bit more of a chore than a pleasure for you? Yeah. It was, it was always looked as something that I had to do in order to... Uh, it was always said to further my education or... Um, yeah, yeah, essentially. Yeah, it's just required and never really found much joy in, in reading too much. Sure, sure. Something to get through. Yeah, something yeah. to get through. Um, so, uh, but I, when I met you, you were much more of a, a comic book reader. Yeah. Um, so uh, around when did you start getting into comic books? Um, <clears throat> I probably started getting into comic books uh, in my 20s, actually, and... Um, I really enjoyed, uh, DC comics. Uh, never really got too much into like Marvel comic books, indie comics as well. Um, but I really liked the nitty gritty, um, nature of the DC comics and they told more of a, um, a story of, uh, uh, what people actually go through, uh, I guess, in a, in a more fantastical point, uh, way, but, uh, really delved into the, the psyche of, um, uh, of people and, um, and then also crime solving. So that was always fun. <laughs> Gotta love a mystery. So you found the characters engaging. And, yeah. And, and you found the stories while based in fantasy still relatable in some way. In, in some way. Yeah. And Batman in particular. Um, well then also the flash and yeah, there's, yeah, there's a lot of fun DC comics. Huh. Um, but yeah, they're the, the, the characters were, uh, more relatable, um, living everyday lives, alter egos. Um, yeah. Yeah. Nice escapism too. Yeah. Um, did the, did the artwork play a role at all in the appeal of, of comic books? That's always pretty fun is, um, each comic book run can have different artwork styles with different, with different artists. And that was always a lot of fun to, to see and, um, also the visual, um, that goes along with the text is also helps paint the picture of, uh, of a world, which is, which is a lot of fun. 
I find, um, especially with graphic novels too, that the art really contributes to the world building and kind of immerses me in it. Is that kind of how you felt? Yeah. And yeah, it's always fun to go back and because a lot of times I'll be focused on the, the text and, and the story and then going back and looking at the pictures and, and seeing how um, the artists depict the story as well. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, so something we talk about in our podcast a bit is sort of... Um, breaking out of that really restrictive view of what counts as reading and sort of broadening it more into storytelling. So um, something I realized about you fairly recently in our relationship is that it's the storytelling really that, that draws you in and hearing you talk about the appeal of comic books kind of reinforces that for me. So will you talk a little bit about other ways that you like to engage with stories other than just reading them on a page? Uh, yeah. Um, I also really enjoy audio books. Um, uh, it's, I spend so much time in the car driving back and forth, so it's nice to listen to, to stories in the car and not have to, uh, worry about, uh, listening to anything news related or, um, uh, talk shows or, um, and sometimes music just gets a little old. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, I, I like, uh, listening to stories, uh, uh, audio books, um, you know, watching TV, which, you know, paints a, you know, a very vivid story as you know, with moving pictures and, uh, and dialogue. Um, but yeah, um, primarily audio books. Um, and, and that's really nice too, cause it, uh, your brain can bridge the gap between the visual and, and what's being, uh, read to you. Yeah, that's a good way to say that. Um, I would also argue some of the video games you play engage oh, in storytelling. Yeah. yeah, lots of video games nowadays um, um, really do engage in storytelling. You know, whether or not it's an RPG and you're you're reading through text on um, on a screen, or um, you know, having it told to you with a lot of the really amazing voice acting that comes from video games. Yeah, I'm thinking in particular of one you played a while ago where there's a character on a boat um, sort mm. of traveling around and collecting uh, uh, people and helping them release their souls to the afterlife yeah. or something. Yeah, Spirit Fair. Yeah. Yeah, that was a, that was a fun one. Um, yeah, it was uh, about a, um, a person that was became the Spirit Fair and was um, uh, ferrying their spirits you know, beyond, uh, into the afterlife. Yeah. There was a lot of really interesting characters in that one and and a beautiful story. Yeah. That was very character driven. You had to go find the characters and learn about them. Um, and then figure out a way to, um, um, get them to move on. Yeah. That was really cool. Um, and then the last one I wanted to touch on was, um, you and I have been viewing uh, a D&D a Dungeons and Dragons campaign together. Yeah. Um, and uh, that was kind of a surprise to me when I first got into it. I was like, ah, this might be too nerdy even for Jim and the, the episodes are long. But you sat down and watched the end of campaign one with me and then expressed an interest in watching campaign two. And um, seems like we've both been pretty engaged in it. So what, what are some of the appeals of, of that kind of storytelling to you? Um, well, D and D is, is a lot of fun because, uh, if you have a good DM that can, you know, weave a 
picture for you um and and you play characters and go through different quests and storylines and you know there's a lot of text involved with you know reading through manuals and creating characters and um um updating your characters as they level up and it's uh um a lot of fun and the the storytelling that you can uh interact with is is a lot of fun um and lots of uh uh uh, really cool ways to 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 paint that picture yeah yeah it kind of uh in some ways it gives me feels did you ever read any of those books when you were younger that were choose your own adventure oh yeah goosebumps oh did they have choose your own adventure goosebumps they did <gasps> i gotta find those yeah i think i have one Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's, it's sort of like a video game meets a choose-your-own-adventure book. Yeah. Oh, and go, getting back to, you know, what I would read as a kid, yeah, Goosebumps, Boxcar Children, those mysteries that, that needed to be solved, um, or or something spooky, which has always interested me. Yeah, for sure. Keeps you keeps you turning the page. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for spending this time with me, honey. Yeah, I, I know we talked earlier about, you know, um, breaking out of norms as well. I know that... I said that I used uh, reading as a means to an end as well. Oh, yeah. I don't know yeah. if you wanted me to talk about that. Yeah, actually, thank you for uh, for bringing that up. So, you know, you engage in you engage in storytelling in a lot of different ways, ways that might be considered out of the norm for you know sort of traditional schooling. So, when you do still engage in more traditional reading today, what are those kinds of um, instances? Yeah, I. Um, you know, learning about how a process works um, is is and for the for technical minded and not even technical minded, but someone just wants to learn how um, uh, ma- machines work or um, uh, how to you know do carpentry or anything. There's there's lots of manuals that I um, actually have an easier time getting through than an actual. Uh, um, story in a book. Um, and, uh, it could just be because, you know, there's certain steps, step-by-step processes that, um, uh, that interest me and, and, um, and just learning as well. So it doesn't necessarily have to be, um, um, something that's super engaging. It could be, you know, um, uh, something that might seem mundane and boring to people as well. Um, but yeah, learning about how things work. I I have marveled a number of times at your ability to read something on a page and then execute it physically. It's not something I've ever been able to do. And um, Tibby and I have talked about our own superpowers. I, I think one of <laughs> yours is being able to read a manual front to back and then do what it says. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, I, I didn't realize it was that amazing until you said that. <laughs> You're pretty awesome, honey. Well, thank you. You are too. Well, thank you for spending this time with me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you.